You know, one of the one of the things that people always tell me is, Rabbi, I forgot. I forgot to come to the class. I forgot to come to Minyan. I forgot to put on tefillin. Forgetting, right? And the truth is, it's very normal for people to forget things, right? We forget things all the time. And I make it seem as if only people give excuses to rabbis that they forget. I also give excuses. I forget things, right? Forget to pay the bills. Forget to, to renew the car registration. We forget. Anyway, so what do we do? How do we take care of that forgetfulness? How do we how do we fix it? Because obviously the purpose, our purpose in life is not to be forgetful. It's to remember, remember good things, right? Well, okay. you know what post-it notes are, Rabbi? <laughs> you no, know, I tried them. I tried them once and they didn't work. That's it. That's official. My post-it notes don't work. Wait until you get older. They'll be your best friend. Okay. <laughs> Definitely put it. Hopefully I remember. Hopefully I remember when I get older that the, the post-it notes is the way to go. So the truth of the matter is that Judaism, to an extent, takes for granted that humans are forgetful. Humans are forgetful. That's just the way of life. To the point that there is a mitzvah whose entire purpose is to serve as a reminder. That's the whole idea of the mitzvah. So that brings us to this week's parsha. This week's parsha, Shlach, very dramatic parsha. There's a lot going on. Um, but I don't even want to whet your appetite because then you would keep me stuck on the story so much. We're just going to skip all the way to the end. All the way at the very end of the parsha. I don't want to forget what the class is about exactly. So all the way at the end of the parsha, there is um, a paragraph of four verses. Four verses that are actually very famous because we read them at least twice a day. And that is the parsha of Tzitzis, the portion of the Torah that tells us the, the mitzvah of Tzitzis. Let's read through it. The Lord spoke to, spoke to Moses saying, speak to the children of Israel that they shall make for themselves fringes on the corners of their garments for all generations. And they shall affix a thread of sky blue wool on the fringe of each corner. Okay. Um, this shall be tzitzit for you. And when you see it, you will remember all the commandments of the Lord to perform them. And you will not wander after your hearts and after your eyes, after which you are going astray. It's very interesting how the Torah basically says the reason why you need to have a reminder of all the mitzvahs is because you have, you, you are constantly being distracted. Your eyes and your ears, they're constantly absorbing things that are contrary to Torah and mitzvahs, contrary to the service of God. And it's very easy for you to be completely distracted and forgetful of the fact that there is a God who commanded us 613 mitzvahs, and therefore we need to have the reminder. What are the reminder? The fringes, the strings on the corners of the garments. In addition to that, in, in addition to the strings on the corner of the garment, each set of strings also has a string of blue, sky blue wool. So that you shall remember and perform all my commandments. So that you shall remember and perform all my commandments and you shall be holy to your God. There's actually another verse that also speaks about the exodus from Egypt. Now, the purpose of wearing the tzitzit is in order that we should remember the exodus from Egypt. So it's actually five verses. Okay. Now, I'm sure everyone here has seen what a talus looks like. The talus has four corners. And uh, if you're not wearing, if someone is not wearing a talus and they wear the garment that goes over their body, like a vest, so to speak, it also has four, four corners. And on each one of the corners, we have 
special strings that are connected to the corner through the hole. You fold them in and you start to tie them in a certain series of knots, as you can see here. Okay. Now, how in the world do these fringes on the corners of the garment, how do they remind you of the mitzvahs? It says and you're going to remember all the mitzvahs, right? But one thing for sure, having strings at the corner of your of your of your garment is a great way of uh, of being different, of everyone knowing that you're Jewish. One of them, you know, uh, one of the questions I get very often is, "What are those strings coming out of your pants?" Right? What is that all about? Imagine trying to explain to someone that with these strings, I'm remembering that I have 613 commandments. No, it's a good question. So, how exactly do these strings do that? So, source number two, Rashi explains, because the numerical value of the word tzitzit, tzitzit means like, like um, strands, strings. Uh, there are certain places in the Bible where tzitzit roshi, like the strands of my head. If someone has like a, you know, a hair on their head, tzitzit is like strands that you could grab onto. So the word tzitzit has the numerical value of 600. How so? So you have the, you have it uh, counted out over here. Tzadik is 90, Yud is 10. Tzadik is 90, Yud is 10. So that's altogether 200. And the tough is 400. 400 plus 200 is 600. Good. Then if you take each corner, if you count out the strands of the corner, of the tzitzit on the corner, it comes out to eight strands. There are eight strands here. And... And on the, at the top part of the strands, the top third, they are tied up in knots in a certain pattern. And this pattern, it's hard for you to see it on the, on the computer here, but in this pattern, you have a total of five knots. Here's one, two, three, four, and five. It's a total of five knots. So every corner has eight strands and five knots. Eight plus five is 13. 600 plus 13 brings you to the magic number of 613 mitzvahs. Yeah. The background of the knots? According to the custom, according to the tradition, there should be, in other words, you definitely have to, let's put it this way, these eight strings, they're really four strings. They're four long strings that are inserted into the hole, folded, and in order to make them eight strings, you have to like tie them. Once you tie them, then they're eight strings. And according to tradition, the tying is not just one knot. There has to be at least you know one knot, and then you wrap around the string around the around this set. And then you have another knot. And according to tradition, you have to have at least five knots with a separation in between them. You see, in between each knot, there's like a, one of the strands is it's like coiled around it. There's a coil in between the knots here. So you have five knots, four coils in middle. Uh, each one of them has their own significance. If you'll tell me, hey, Rabbi, this sounds far-fetched, I won't disagree with you. I won't disagree. Um, but this is, this is the idea. The idea is that God gives us a mitzvah, that we have a garment of four corners. You are, it's interesting. You have, you have to kind of take this into a certain context here. So the mitzvah is the following. If you have a garment four corners you are not allowed to wear the garment unless you put tzitzit on each corner unless you put four tzitzit if you have a garment of three corners it doesn't need tzitzit at all if you have a garment that doesn't have any corners you also don't need tzitzit 
Very good. And Marvin says, if you have a garment of four corners and you're not wearing it, it's in your drawer, you don't either have to have tzitzit over there. The only thing is, when you are wearing a garment of four corners, that garment must have the tzitzit on it. So, first of all, it seems, that, and, and the truth is, one is not obligated to go and seek out a garment of four corners and then put on tzitzit. It's if you're wearing a garment of four corners, you should put tzitzit on it. By the way, let's say your garment has six corners. What do you do then? Your garment has six corners for whatever reason. What do you do? No, you only put tzitzit on four corners. That's it. Only on four corners. So now, even though, according to the Torah, one is not obligated to seek out the garment of four corners and to put tzitzit on it. However, they just tell us that it is appropriate for a Jew to be sure that they should have such a garment. Why? Because the unique special idea, the theme of the tzitzit is that the tzitzit serve as a reminder of all the mitzvot. Um, now, the tzitzit that we wear today, even though it's a full and complete mitzvah, there's a detail that's missing. What's the detail? The blue, the tchelis. What's the tchelis? Where did the tchelis go? So first, let's read a little bit more about the tchelis. What's the, what's the function of that blue? Source number three, Rabbi Meir said, why does blue differ from all other kinds of colors? Why couldn't we put a red color or a green color, a yellow? What's with the blue? Because blue resembles the sea. The sea resembles the firmament, the sky. And the firmament resembles the throne of glory. And from seeing it, he will remember his creator. Thus it is stated, and they saw the God of Israel, and under his feet there was something like brickwork of sapphire, like the heavens themselves for brightness. So the function of the blue, the tchelas, the special blue, is that it should be a reminder of God. Yeah. Um, okay, so so that that's the mitzvah of tzitzis. Why do we not have the blue in our garment? Uh, if you'll read the laws about the blue, so first of all, there's 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 several things to keep in mind. You can't just take any blue string and just tie it on. Yalla, here we have uh, we have tcheles. No, no, no. Tcheles is uh, is uh, manufactured in a very specific way. It has to come from the blood of a very specific type of. A snail or fish, something it's, it's it's unclear what exactly it is. And according to tradition, we have, we actually have a uh, a tradition from the Alter Rebbe, first Chabad Rebbe, that the Tchelas was lost. We don't have it, and we won't have it until Mashiach will come. And therefore, and, and and the truth of the matter is that if you don't have Tchelas, my writes is very clear. If you don't have Tchelas, white is perfectly fine. The white strings they do the mitzvah. They're they're a wholesome mitzvah for itself. If you have tchelas, tchelas is part of the mitzvah. It's not like two separate mitzvahs. But if you don't have tchelas, better, better to omit the tchelas than to put something that is questionably tchelas in your tzvah. Part of the four. It's one of the four. Yeah. I don't know. It would probably be half of it because it would be only one out of the eight. Anyway, so uh, that's why in our talisman, we do not have the tchelas. There are those that claim that they have found the tchelas. But, uh, you know, as someone that follows the teachings of the Alter Rebbe, the Alter Rebbe said very clearly that the Tchelas will return with Mashiach. So, uh, look, as long as people are still dying on the streets, as long as there's still war in Ukraine, and as long as there's, uh, as long as someone is starving somewhere in the world, I'm not putting on that Tchelas, right? 
Okay. All righty. So now let's get more into the, the juice of what this mitzvah is all about. It seems, it seems that the real deal with, with, um, with tzitzis, that it, that it serves as a reminder, it's not just the fact that if you put together the number of tzitzis, which is 600, and you count out five knots and eight strings that come to 13, you have 613 mitzvahs. There seems to be something deeper here. The whole idea of the tzitzis is that you shall tie, right? Uh, it should be tied onto the corner. You have to tie the strings onto the corner. What is the unique quality of a knot that serves as a reminder? Have you ever seen, uh, you know, they, they have these, uh, you know, if you want to remember, remember something, you take a string and tie a knot on your finger. When I was a kid, we didn't do it. But maybe when you were kids, they did it. I don't know. There's like this thing. If you want to remember something, there's something you need to remember to finish, to do, to take care of. You know, so you take a string and you tie it around your finger. It's not, uh, it's not something that started 100 years ago or 200 years ago, some uh, old, old Bubby's tale. No, it actually comes from Tyra. So let's see a very interesting source in the Zoya. Source number four, we're on page five. Rabbi Yoisi said, you know, all right, anyway, I wanted to say a joke, I decided not. I didn't forget the joke, I decided not. Okay, Rabbi Yoisi said, blessed is this path that we merited that interpretation. Okay, so you had these two rabbis, Rabbi Yoisi and Rabbi Chiyah. In general, in the Zoyar, a lot of the teachings of the Zoyar are, they, they don't just say the teaching, the setting is presented, and very often the setting is there were rabbis traveling. Seems like the rabbis were traveling quite often. You know, they were they were walking from one city to the next. We're going. They were busy. So Rabbi Yosi and Rabbi Chi are having a conversation while they're on the road. So Rabbi Yosi said, "Blessed is this path that we merited that interpretation." They were talking about something, something about the coming of Mashiach, which is not really relevant to uh, to the topic at hand. So we're not going to get into it. So they 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 learned something, you know, a tremendous deep interpretation about this specific issue. Rabbi Yehissi said, wow, it's wonderful. We, we merited to hear that interpretation. Rabbi Chia said to him, from whom did you hear it? Rabbi Yehissi said to him, one day I was walking on the road and I heard and saw Rav Hamnuna Savo expounding upon this passage for Rabbi Acha. So he saw Rabbi Hamnuna speaking to Rabbi Acha and Rabbi Hamnuna was saying this beautiful, deep and wonderful explanation to Rabbi Acha. When I heard it, so he overheard something that it wasn't even being told to him. He overheard it being told to someone else. When I heard it, I rejoiced over it and kept it bound in the corner of my garment so that it should never leave. How do you, how do you take an idea and tie it into your garment? What did he do? When he heard it, right away, he took some part of his garment and he tied a knot in it. So, oh, I want to remember this. So he tied a knot in his garment. Rabbi Chia said, certainly this holy subject was illuminated by the holy luminary. Blessed is the generation that preserves the world, which pillars, which pillars dwell in it. He's talking about Rabbi Hamnuna, Rabbi Hamnuna Sava, who had expounded on this interpretation. And if you tie this interpretation with one knot, so that it shall not leave you, I will tie it with 30 or 40 knots in my pocket, so that it shall never leave me. Interesting conversation. So here they're, 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 they're gushing over the fact that they just learned something tremendous. 
And how are they expressing their desire to remember it? One of the rabbis said, I tied a knot to my garment in order to remember it. The other one said, you tied one knot. I'm going to tie 30 to 40 knots. I, I got to really, really remember this. No. So uh, what do we see from here? That tying a knot is connected to memory. Remembering something. Not to forget. All right. So now let's let's go into the sikha. Um, this sikha was actually from, surprise, surprise, not from Parsha Shlach, right? Usually, don't usually get a sikha from the actual parasha of the week. Uh, this sikha was actually said in connection with um, the parasha of Kisisa. Why parasha of Kisisa? Because in that parasha, in that section of the Zohar, that's where we have this whole story of Rabbi Nonasava and Rabbi Yaisi and Rabbi Chia with the tying of the knots, etc. Okay. Every week, I'm sorry, before I get to that, I think I've mentioned this earlier, when the Rebbe's father was sent to prison, was sent off because he was he was like the chief rabbi of Ukraine at the time. And in fact, he had influence throughout Russia, throughout Soviet Russia. And the Soviets decided they had enough is enough. They have to get rid of the Schneerson. So they arrested him and they sent him off into exile. They sent him off to Kazakhstan, some far off, you know, godforsaken place. Um, when he was sent there, his wife, Rebbe Sinchana, the Rebbe's mother, joined her husband in exile. And she brought with her, she brought to him several books. One of the books was a Zoyar. The Rebbe's father, in addition to being a, a tremendous halachist, a Jewish legal expert, he was, he was a master rabbi. Um, so that was you know, one aspect of his, of his personality. The other one was the fact that he was a tremendous chassid. And in addition, also he was a genius in the study of Torah, which, which is known as a go'in, someone who knows the entire corpus of Torah, like completely and, and, and thoroughly. Uh, but in addition to that, he was a, a, a master Kabbalist. There was someone that understood the Kabbalah very well, which was actually unique even amongst Hasidim. You think Hasidim, they're all mystics. It's not true. Hasidim are Hasidim. They learn Hasidus. But, but it's very rare to find within the Hasidic community someone who's a master of Kabbalah, a master of the Zoya. The Zoya is on a whole different type of esoteric level. You know, it's, it's, it's very cryptic and very different, etc. I'm not saying that it's higher than Chassidus, I'm saying it's different. It's on a different, uh, a different plane. So he was a master Kabbalist. So she brought with her, she brought a book of Zohar. I think it was more than one book, one or two or three. The Rebbe's father. The Rebbe's father-in-law was the previous Lubavitcher Rebbe. Right? So the Rebbe's father's name is Rabbi Levi Yitzchak. I'm named to it. Rabbi Levi Yitzchak, who was the, who was the chief rabbi of Yekaterinoslav, which became Dyanepe Petrovsk. Yeah, it's a tongue twister there. I think now they just call it Dnipro. That's what they call it in the in, in the in the media for uh, I don't know if they're just chipping uh, us with Dnepe Petrovsk, but imagine hearing these anchors trying to say Dnepe Petrovsk. Anyways, he was the rabbi of Dnepe Petrovsk. And uh, after the previous rabbi left Russia, he, he was one of the only great rabbis left. Um, and he kept up the battle to keep Judaism alive. And that's why he was sent off this terrible uh, exile, and he, he ended up passing away as a result. He, he passed away in his mid-60s as a result of the illness that, uh, that he, you know, he fell ill while he was there. Anyway, so she brought with her, she brought a Zohar, a book of Zohar, she brought a Tanya and several other books. When she came, right away she saw, she, he grabbed the book, he started to learn. But in addition to all of his knowledge, he was also someone who, who would write a lot. He had thousands and thousands of pages of writings, original Torah writings that were left at his home in Dnepr Petrovsk. The Nazis, they conquered the city, and we don't have any, we have no trace of them, nothing. It's, it's all gone. 
which is a real shame. Um, that's what Nazis do, right? They, you know, they steal, they pillage, they plunder, and they burn. Um, but we don't know exactly what happened to all of his writings. Um, and she saw that he very much wanted to write his novel Torah ideas. So she found a way how to make ink from herbs. She asked some of the locals how to do So she created this ink that she crafted some type of pen and she gave it to him and he started to write on the margins of the Zohar. He started to write all of his novel ideas. So a few things happened here. First of all, all the margins are filled up because he only had margins. So he wrote in shorthand. He wrote very, very, you know, very short what his ideas were. So, and, and fine. So, you know, he, he filled up all those margins. He also wrote on the margins of Tanya. Um, to make a long story short, he passed away there. The Rabbi Khana left. Uh, she gave the books to people for safekeeping, and it took about 20 years more until these books reached the Rebbe. And the Rebbe had these books published. But when they were published, they were finally published, people had a very hard time learning because you're talking about Kabbalah and you're talking about, the, you know, the Rebbe, his, his father wrote very cryptically. So when these, when these books were published, I believe in 1970, when the first volume came out, came out the Rebbe started a tradition that at every Shabbos Fabrengi, every Shabbos Fabrengi, he would take uh, a teaching from his father and expound upon it. So this was part of the staple of the Rebbe's Fabrengi. The Rebbe will talk about Rashi. The Rebbe will talk about, um, you know, a teaching from his father. Anyway, so this this uh, sicha, this talk, is about a teaching from his father in Pasha's Kisisa. So, page five at the bottom. In my father's comments on the Zoyar of the Torah portion of Kisisa, he quotes the following teaching of the Zoyar. But the sages of the Mishnah and Talmud heard an incredible teaching regarding the Messianic era. Because this teaching was so dear to them, they tied a knot on the corner of their garment to ensure they would not forget it. This is the source of the common saying that a knot is helpful for forgetfulness. My father explains the details of the Zayar's teachings at length, but he doesn't explain a simple point. Why does a knot specifically cause a person not to be forgetful? What's with the knot? What's going on? Some explain that a string is usually straight. So the presence of a knot is an unusual feature. Therefore, when he later sees the string, he will notice the unusual feature and then remember the reason why he made it. Oh, oh what's going on? Why is there a knot of here? Ah, that's right. I had to finish, uh, you know, paying off my bills, right? I had to go and take care of the laundry. But if that is the reason, any unusual feature will suffice. He could leave a belt on the table or draw a line on the wall, garment, or any other place. Or as someone mentioned earlier, you could take a sticky note, right? And write on it and do something like that. Those would also be considered something unusual to serve as a reminder. But since we are specifically told that a knot is made and not just any unusual feature, and this is described and elaborated on at length, right? he said, I liked it so much, I tied a knot. The other one said, you liked it so much, I'm going to tie 30 knots, 40 knots. Like, What's up with the knots, right? Like another one say, I'm going to take my belt and I'm going to make it in an unusual shape and that's going to do it. Yeah. Well, he didn't do it. This indicates that a regular unusual feature isn't enough to serve as a reminder. It is specifically a knot which will serve as a lasting reminder. This, this raises the question, why? Yeah, fair enough question. So, 
To get to the whole idea of the Nats, and that brings another interesting story that's brought out in the Medrash, that's explained in the Medrash with regard to Nats. Let's go all the way back to Genesis. The story of Joseph in Egypt. Joseph was sold off as a slave in Egypt, and he was bought by Pletifar. He became a slave in his home, and then he rose in the ranks, and he was the head of the home, and then Pletifar's wife wanted to have wanted to have a, a relationship with him, and the whole scandal broke. Obviously, he didn't want it, and he was put into prison for 10 years. At the end of those 10 years, the butler and baker of Pharaoh were thrown into prison and they were there for a year and they spent time with Joseph. One day Joseph comes in and they're very upset and he asked them what's going on. They had had a terrible night for each one of them and he said, I'll give you the explanation. God will give me the give you the explanation. The butler said his thing, the baker said his thing. God did. So Joseph told the butler, your dream means that in three days you're going to be reinstated in your place. And the baker he said, in three days you're going to be killed. You're going to be, you're going to go, you're going to the gallows. So he told the butler, when you are reinstated for Pharaoh's birthday party, remember me and uh, mention my name to Pharaoh that he should get me out of this, uh, this dungeon. I don't want to stay here. But he forgot him, right? He forgot him for two years. Why did he forget him? So let's go to page seven. The use of knots as a reminder is also found in the story of Pharaoh's butler. So what's the story? And Joseph said to him, this is its meaning. And the three tendrils are three days. And another three days, Pharaoh will number you with the other officers and he will restore you to your position. And you will place Pharaoh's cup into his hand according to your previous custom when you were his cupbearer. But remember me when things go well with you. And please do me a favor and mention me to Pharaoh and you will get me out of this house. For I was stolen from the land of the Hebrews and here too I have done nothing for which they have put me into the dungeon. Came about on the third day, Pharaoh's birthday. And Pharaoh made a feast. For all of his servants, and he counted the chief cupbearer and the chief baker among the servants, and restored the chief cupbearer to his position as cupbearer, and he served the cup on Pharaoh's hand, and the chief baker was hanged, as Joseph had interpreted to them. But the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, and he forgot him. Why did he forget him? The message says, all day, that whole day, the whole birthday, he would create conditions, and the angel would come and overturn them. He was making conditions with himself to remind himself about Joseph. He was very—he comes out of prison. Imagine a guy, a butler. This was a very high-profile situation, right? The butler, Pharaoh, was found in a massive scandal. He was on the front page for a full year. Everyone was talking about the butler. Finally, he comes out. Right? What happens the day you come out of prison after a full year? It's busy. It's crazy, right? Everyone's coming, congratulating, and you know, giving him high fives and all of that type of stuff. But on top of all that, he's got to be the butler. For Pharaoh's birthday party, that's a high-profile situation. So he was extremely busy, extremely involved. And yet, he said, one second, I owe it to Joseph. So he started to make all these things to remind him that he has to remind that he has to mention him to Pharaoh. He would so so he would make conditions. I guess he would say, look, oh, I'll, I'll finish this and I'll go run to Pharaoh and tell him something. What would God do? <laughs> that thing never got finished. Right? It was it was always every condition that he made to remind him to go to Pharaoh. God would uh, would, would 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 mess it up. He would tie knots and the angel would come and untie them. He said, oh, forget about this. I'm just going to tie something around my finger. And an angel would come and untie it so that he should forget. Yeah. What do we see from here? That tying is all part of remembering. All right. Here's how the Rebbe meant. At the end of the Torah portion of Yeshev, the verse states, right, that he forgot Joseph. The Medrash Rabbi explains that he tried to avoid forgetting through tying knots. Source number six 
uh, one of the one of the uh, uh, interpreters, one of the interpreters of the Medrash, he says there are those that want to say that the butler was trying to specifically forget Joseph. So but that doesn't make sense. Uh, look at the last paragraph here. The meaning of the Medrash is the opposite. The butler endeavored to remember Joseph and tied knots as a sign that would remind him. An angel came and untied the knots so that another two years should pass. Page nine. Some of the commentators on the Medrash explain that the meaning of tying knots is that he was plotting schemes against Joseph and God untied them, thwarted them. The simple meaning of the Medrash is, as other commentators explain, that he employed methods to avoid forgetting Joseph, but he nevertheless forgot because God untied the knots and made him forget until the right time would come. This explains why the verse continues to say, and it happened at the end. In other words, this is the reason God made the butler forget, because had he remembered it earlier, it wouldn't have happened at the appropriate time. When was the right time for Joseph to be mentioned to Pharaoh? When Pharaoh had a dream, he had a nightmare of the seven fat cows and seven skinny cows, and it was the right time that it was they were ready to start off the seven good years and then the seven bad years. So that's why God had untied all the knots in order that we should only jog um, the butler's memory at the right time. <clears throat> From this story, we see that the butler used specifically tying knots as a method of remembering. It is known. So, so now here's the question. Why, why did the butler, the butler was not Jewish, right? The butler didn't know about tzitzis. So why, why did the butler use the method of tying knots? So you got to say that this was a common practice in the world. This is what everyone did. That's the way they did it. The best, surest way of remembering things was to tie knots. By the way, how do we know that? Because the only reason why the butler forgot was not because even though he tied a knot, he forgot. Because the angel came and untied it. If it would have remained a knot, the butler would have remembered. In other words, the entire world had this method. Through tying a knot, that's the way they remembered something that was possibly that it was possible to forget. Why? Why? Why is a knot the surest way of remembering something that you might forget? It is known. Yeah, so page ten. This, even though it's not necessarily related to this specific theme, but this is an, a general theme in the Rebbe's teachings. It is known that all physical realities are a reflection of a spiritual source. It is therefore clear that the main role of a knot as a memory device is in holy matters. And as a result, it is reflected in worldly matters as well. If you'll go to a neurologist, right, or to a scientist who delves into the workings of the brain, you'll ask them, no, what's the secret of the knot? What happens to your brain? With the, why does the knot jog your memory? And so maybe, maybe they'll find a, a connection. Say when a person ties a knot, it does something to their memory. Maybe, perhaps. Maybe they'll find a physiological explanation for why tying knots is the best way to remember something. But the Rebbe is asking a deeper question. Why is that so? The fact that something happens to your brain, something happens to your memory when you tie a knot, there's got to be a reason for that. Not just a physiological reason. Because everything that is physical is a reflection of the spiritual. If you want to know the real reason for something, you've got to go to its source. And what's its source? The spiritual realms. Where do we know this from? Where do we know that everything down here is a reflection from up there? So, the very fascinating uh, story in the Talmud. Let's read it inside. Source number seven. 
Rav Sheshet was blind. He was, he was a great Talmudic scholar. But he was blind though. A non-Jewish king once came to his city in Babylonia. Everyone was going to greet him. Rav Sheshet went along despite his blindness. A certain heretic saw Rav Sheshet and began to mock him. Why is a blind person like you going to see the king? Rav Sheshet said to him, you will see that I know more than you more than you do about what is going on. <laughs> I might be blind, but I, I see what's going on. What is it? So he said that the first group of the royal guard passed, making great noise. And the heretic said, the king is coming. Ashesha said to him, the king is not coming. He's not in this group. The second guard passed, making great noise. And the heretic again said, the king is coming. Shesha said to him, the king is not coming yet. Sounds like he got access to uh, Secret Service's uh, schedule, right? We've got a mole, my friends. The third guard passed. And when there was silence, Shesha said to the heretic, now the king is coming. The heretic asked Shesha in amazement, how did you know? None of us ever experience the king coming to town. How did you know that the king only comes after the pomp and ceremony, when it's quiet, when there's a hush? Sheshis replied, earthly royalty mirrors divine royalty. Since divine revelation is preceded by noisy guards and God himself is revealed in silence, I understood that the same would be true with this king. Where do we see a story where God comes and first there's noise and then it's quiet? Avshashas derived this from Elijah the prophet. There's a whole story about Elijah the prophet who once had to run away from, from the Jewish king. I'm not going to get into the details. He ended up at, at, at Mount Sinai, which is also known as Mount Chorev. So when he came to Mount Sinai, when Elijah stood at Mount Chorev, he was told, go out and stand upon the mountain before God. And then there was this tremendous wind. God was not in the wind. Then there was an earthquake. God was not in the earthquake. And there was this fire. God was not in the fire. After the fire, there was a still, small sound. And God revealed himself. From here we see that God doesn't reveal himself until his noisy guards of honor have passed, and there is silence. So Rav Sheshis, who knew how God works, he figured that's how the king works. Fine. In other words, what was he, what was he basing his knowledge off of? The premise that the earthly domain is a reflection of the heavenly domain. So we are now going to use the same premise, try to figure out what is the secret of the knots. Why do the knots... Why, why, do the, why does tying a knot help for memory? Page 11 on the bottom. Remembrance by means of knot is found in the Torah and the mitzvahs of tefillin and tzitzis. Mitzvahs that are as important as the entire Torah. These two mitzvahs are compared to the entire Torah. Regarding Tefillin, the verse says, and they shall be a sign on your arm and a reminder between your eyes. Meaning that Tefillin serve as a reminder for all of the mitzvahs. Regarding Tzitzis, the verse says, and when you see it, you will remember all the commandments of the Lord. The numerical value of the word tzitzit is 600, together with the eight strings and five knots, it equals 613, the number of mitzvahs. Tzitzit thus serves as a reminder for all of the mitzvahs. 
So we have two mitzvahs that are all about reminding us of all the mitzvahs. And it so happens to be, nothing is by chance, that both of them are characterized by knots. Both tefillin and tzitzis are associated with tying. Regarding tefillin, the verse says, and you shall tie them as a sign. Both the knots of the head and hand tefillin. Tzitzis have five knots. It is therefore clear that there is a relationship between knots and remembering that the former generates the latter. So how do we know for sure that in the spiritual domain it works the same way? Because we have, we have a situation where the mitzvahs that are all about reminding us of all the other mitzvahs are associated with time, are associated with knots. This is stated explicitly regarding tzitzis. As the Alter Rebbe explains, the main purpose is to serve as a reminder of all the mitzvahs. Like when a person requests something from his fellow, he ties knots on his belt in order to remember. It can be suggested that the knot of the tefillin serves the same purpose. All right, so well, what does that mean? Okay, so fine. So tefillin, tzitzis, are all about tying, knots, etc. But, but what is this? What is, what is the, what's the secret of the knot? In order to appreciate the secret of the knot, first we have to understand the secret of forgetfulness. How is it possible that someone should forget something? Where does forgetfulness come from? Why don't, we remember, why don't we remember everything? So like this. Our world is a mix. It's a mix of holiness, divinity, and what's called klipa. Klipa is the opposite side, forces of impurity. Klipa is also called like a, a peel. Klipa literally means a peel. You have a fruit. So what's the, what's the purpose of the fruit? The sweet meat of the fruit, that's the fruit. What do you have around it? The klipa. What do you usually do with the klipa? You peel it off and throw it away. You don't eat it. Unless you make chocolate-covered peels, right? Orange peels. But um, in a regular world, if you're, not, if you're not able to make money off of everything, you take the peel and you throw it away. That's meant to be thrown away. So forgetfulness here, let, let's go down here in the bottom, page 12. Forgetfulness comes from klipa, the unholy side. Regarding holiness, the verse says, there is no forgetfulness before your seat of honor. This means that forgetfulness exists up to and including God's seat of honor, but not above it. The unholy side of Klippa derives its life force from the seat of honor and no higher than that. As the verse says, the seat is not complete. These are Kabbalistic terminologies that are being used here, but the point is, God is all about memory. God remembers, right? Anything that is the opposite of God is about forgetting. In our divine service, forgetfulness is the source of the very concept of sin. And memory removes the whole possibility of sin. What's the story? What's, what's, what's the problem? You, know what? you forgot that it's a sin. <laughs> if you remembered it was a sin, you wouldn't do it. No. Here, here's the deal. How is it possible for a Jew to sin? The question is not, can a Jew forget that this is a sin or not? That's not the point. is, how is it possible for a Jew to even contemplate the concept of sin? The Jewish people are believers, the children of believers. Each and every Jew truly believes that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth and everything they contain. Creation wasn't only during the six days of creation. God renews the act of creation every day in his kindness. 
every day and every moment, God renews all of creation from absolute nothingness, like during the six days of creation. And we all believe that. We all know that. This raises the question, when a Jew knows and recognizes that at this very moment, God is renewing the creation of the world ex nihilo, which is fancy Latin for something from nothing, and God's power will be required to continue to renew the world a moment later, how is it possible that he should succumb to his personal desires, regardless of how strong they are, and transgress God's will? He knows that his entire existence and his desires is dependent on and being created by God at this very moment. If you're aware of God's presence in life, how could you at the same time decide, I'm not going to listen to God, I'm going to do my own thing? But you're crazy or something? If you know this, how could you do the opposite? Then he also explains it in a little bit different fashion. He says, there may appear to be various obstacles to divine service. So here we're not talking about a situation where a person has, has uh, as I say, he, he has the desire, he's, he, he's, he's being enticed to do something wrong. Let's say he wants to do something right, but there's an obstacle in his way. There's something stopping him. There may appear to be various obstacles to divine service. But a Jew knows with absolute certainty that these obstacles themselves were created by God ex nihilo at this very moment. Certainly then, they can't be true obstacles to Judaism. How could they be obstacles to fulfilling God's will if they were created by him right now? So the whole concept of sin or abstaining from doing a mitzvah, failing to do a mitzvah, actually doesn't really make any sense. The only possible explanation in other words, the only excuse that we'll, ex we'll accept is, I forgot. The only possible explanation for conduct not in accordance with God's will is forgetfulness. At the time of transgression, he forgets that God is creating the world ex nihilo at this very moment. If this knowledge was engraved in his memory, sin would be an impossibility. And moreover, the very thought of sin would also be impossible. In other words, the very definition of us human beings is that we're forgetful beings. <laughs> we're forgetful. This is, part of the, this is part of the challenge. This is part of the challenge that we are forgetting, constantly forgetting. If we would remember, there wouldn't be any problems. Nope. So how do we remember? How do we constantly strengthen our memory to the fact that there is a God and that he is creating everything? And that he is in control of everything. And that even those things that look as if they are obstacles, they are not really true obstacles. So, page 15. The way to improve one's memory and thereby thwart sin that arises from forgetfulness is by tying a knot. What does that mean? What does it mean to tie a knot? So let's look at the Medrash. Now, Buna said, if one committed a sin, he is liable to death by heaven. What can he do to remain alive? If he was accustomed to learn one page of Torah a day, he should learn two. If he was accustomed to one chapter, he should learn two. And their Alter Rebbe explains, this resembles a rope that is severed and then re-knotted. The sight of the knot is twofold and fourfold, thicker than the rest of the rope. So it is with the rope of God's heritage, with the soul's bond with its source. The soul is connected to God. The sin disconnected that rope and now you got to retie it. How do you retie the note? You tie it once, twice, four times. And at that part where it's reconnected, it's going to be bulging. It's going to be double, quadruple the size as the original rope. So what does that mean? Our sages say, 
But if a person wants to atone for a sin, if he was accustomed to the one page of Torah a day, he should learn two. If he was accustomed to learn one chapter, he should learn two. The Alter Rebbe compares this to a rope that is severed and then re-knotted, in which the sight of the knot was twofold and fourfold, thicker than the rest of the rope. In other words, the purpose of a knot is to powerfully bind two things together in a twofold and even fourfold connection. In Jewish law, a double knot is considered permanent. That's why on Shabbos, we're not allowed to tie a double knot. That's making it a permanent knot. This explains, and I hear that the Rebbe kind of, you know, ties it all together, pun intended. Okay, this explains the connection between tying a knot and remembering. Through being tied to holiness with a double and triple knot, all forgetfulness is removed. In other words, if someone realizes, oh yeah, I've sinned, now what should I do? You know what you should do? Ensure that your connection to Judaism is double. Make your connection to Judaism naughty. K-N-O, right? K-N-O-T. Not naughty as an N-A-U-G-H-T-Y, but naughty like a knot. What does that mean? Make sure that it's doubled and tripled and quadrupled. You're accustomed to learning one page of Torah a day. Learn two pages a day. If you are going to make that effort to redouble your efforts in Judaism, to turn your connection into a knot, then you're not going to fail. That's going to make you remember. This is emphasized in the mitzvahs of tzitzis and tefillin that are associated with remembrance. These mitzvahs tie the Jewish people to God in such a way that denies any possibility of sin. So the Rebbe concludes and says, in fact, that's why these mitzvahs were given, and that's why these mitzvahs were given with the, with the characteristic of knots, because when you are careful with these mitzvahs, these mitzvahs are going to keep you connected to God and keep you away from sin. This is expressed in the intentions we are told we are to have in mind while observing these mitzvahs. While covering ourselves with the tzitzis, one should contemplate that God commanded us to wear tzitzis in order to remember to observe all of his all of his mitzvahs. And when putting on tefillin, one should contemplate God's oneness, that he has the power to do as he wishes in the heavens and on earth. And through wearing tefillin, one remembers the creator. This concept, let's continue, let's conclude on page 17. This concept can be connected to the Torah portion of Kisisa. In that portion, we read about Moshe's efforts to rectify the sin of the golden calf, the source of all later sins through repentance, prayer, and asking for mercy. As the verse says, I will let all, so, so in this whole conversation that Moshe has with God, so at one point he tells, he tells the guys, I want to see you. I want to see you. So God says like this. I will let all my goodness pass before you, and I will proclaim the name of God before you. Rashi explains that God was teaching Moshe the, the structure of prayer. He saw God wrapped in a talus, announcing the 13 attributes of mercy, and he was to teach the Jewish people to do the same. In fact, when it comes to the 10 days of repentance, when it comes to before Rosh Hashanah, when we say the slichot, uh, we say the special prayer that's, uh, that's trying to elicit God's mercy and God's forgiveness. So it's customary for the chazan, the cantor, to be wearing a talus. Where do we learn that from? Because the very first Yom Kippur, the very first time that the Jewish people were, uh, you know, achieving forgiveness and listening God's mercy uh, for their sins. So Moses kind of witnessed God doing the process of, of awakening his mercy. How was it? through announcing the 13 attributes of mercy while he was enwrapped in a talus. What's a talus? 
The talus is not just something that you wrap around your body. It also has to have the knots on the corners of the tzitzis. By mentioning God's mercy and kindness, they would be answered and never turned back empty-handed. This vision concluded with, and you will see my back. Moshe was going to see God's back, which Rashi explains means that God showed the knot of his tefillin. The knot in the head tefillin is on the back, on the nape, on the nape of your head. So Moshe Rabbeinu saw God at the time that he was eliciting his forgiveness for the sins of the Jewish people, and he saw a knot. What, what's the point here? We see here that the proper method of asking for divine mercy in order to remove and rectify sin is associated with tzitzis, wrapped in the palace, and tefillin. This is because tzitzis and tefillin emphasize remembrance through their knots. They ensure that we remember God, and this removes the cause and possibility of sin. So just to kind of you know, tie this all together, we have two mitzvahs that are all about memory, remembering God. And what are they? Tefillin and tzitzis. What's the, what's, the, what's, what's the special connection between these mitzvahs and memory? The concept of the knot. Okay? In general, in the world, tie a knot, that's in order to remember things. The only reason why the butler forgot about Joseph is because God untied his knots, because he didn't want him to remember. But what's the, what's the, what's the, what's the magic sauce? What's the secret sauce of a knot? The idea of a knot is that in order to bring two things back together, it's not going to be as smooth as it was earlier. It's got to be doubled. It's got to be thicker. If you want to reconnect and make sure that that connection stays and that you remember that connection, you got to strengthen that connection. You have to double it. You have to turn it into a knot. And this, my friends, is the secret to remembering God, remembering the mitzvahs. And when, when our memory is strong, it's impossible for us to sin. And with that, I will not forget to tell you all good night. And please don't forget that we have a class tomorrow night. Even though it's